0: Good morning. Today's reading comes from Isaiah 37, 7 to 38, and you can follow on your little leaflet or behind me. Listen, when he hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down with the sword. When the field commander heard that the king of Assyria had left Lachish, he withdrew and found the king fighting against Libna. Now, Sennacherib received a report from Teraka, the king of Kosh, was, fighting out to fight, well, was marching out to fight against him. When he heard it, he sent messages to Hezekiah with this word. Say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, Do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says, Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely, and will you be delivered? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my predecessors deliver them, the gods of Gozan, Haran, Rezeph, and the people of Eden, who were in Talisar? Where is the king of Hamath, or the king of Arpad? Where are the kings of Leir, Sepharvaim, Hena, and Eva? Hezekiah received a letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim. You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to all the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste all these people and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord our God deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. Then Isaiah, son of Amos sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word of the Lord that has spoken against him. Virgin daughter Zion despises and mocks you. "'Daughter Jerusalem tosses her head as you flee. "'Who is it you have ridiculed and blasphemed? "'Against whom have you raised your voice "'and lifted your eyes in pride? "'Against the Holy One of Israel. "'By your messengers you have ridiculed the Lord. "'And you have said, "'With many chariots I have ascended "'the heights of the mountains, "'the utmost heights of Lebanon. "'I have cut down its tallest cedars, "'the choicest of its junipers.' I have reached its remotest heights, the finest of its forests. I have dug wells in foreign lands and drunk the water there. With the soles of my feet, I have dried up all the streams of Egypt. Have you not heard? Long ago, I ordained it. In days of old, I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass that do have turned fortified cities into piles of stone. Their people drained of power, are dismayed and put to shame. They are like plants in the field, like tender green shoots, like grass sprouting on the roof, scorched before it grows up. But I know where you go and when you come and go and how you rage against me. Because you rage against me and because your insolence has reached my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth And I will make you return by the way you came. This will be a sign for you, Hezekiah. This year, you will eat what grows by itself, and the second year, what springs from that. But in the third year, sow and reap, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Once more, a remnant of the kingdom of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant, and out of Mount Zion, a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return, and he will not enter this city, declares the Lord." I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 180,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. One day... While he was worshipping in the temple of his god Nisroch, his sons Adrammelech and Sharazah killed him with the sword, and they escaped the land of Ararat, and Esarhaddon, his son, succeeded him as king.
1: Thanks, Leah. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. If we haven't met before, my name is Luke. Uh, me and my wife uh, are members at the 1030 congregation, but it's always good to be here at the 9 a.m., uh, mainly because our kids, kids and naps prohibit us from being with where all the other kids are. Uh, after, after seeing Adam's uh, kids talk, I feel really underprepared for this sermon. You know, I don't, I don't have a ladder or a hard hat or high viz, um, but we get to <clears throat> open up uh, a really kind of fascinating passage in our Isaiah series. I wonder if you'd um, consider yourself a cynical person or maybe you need to ask uh, family members or spouses or parents, do you have trouble trusting people, especially people when they make promises to you? Are you cynical? Of course, for, for most of us, this probably it depends. It depends on the promise being made. And it depends on the person making the promise. So is, is the promise being made too good to be true? We're going to fix South Road. <laughs> and we're going to do it in time and under budget. <laughs> too good to be true. It also depends on the person. Is this a reliable person? What's this person's track record of fulfilling his or her word? This is something we do a lot, you know, in terms of when it's uh, political season. Politicians make promises, and then what do we do? Well, we look at their track record. How did they vote? Because their past actions show us what they will be like in the future. Is this person trustworthy? And I think our youth know this as well. Is this person a a trusted friend who will keep the things that I divulge to them the secrets that I have or the uh, frustrations that I have. Will this person be trustworthy? The struggle to trust in promises and promise makers is also something that occurs with promises of God. Maybe you've come to one of the recent life series and for maybe the first time or the zillionth time You've heard of the radical grace that Christ gives. And it's just too good to be true. It's too good of a promise that he would forgive my past sins, all the guilt that I've accrued. How could he take all this away? Do you have trouble trusting that? This is also a struggle that kind of everyday Christians, Christians that have been Christians for a life, lifetime have as well. Is he trustworthy to fulfill the promises he's made? He's made these promises that his kingdom is coming, that he's going to wipe away every tear. But when I read the news or when I examine my own heart, I don't see that. Is God really going to fulfill his future promises? And so these are the questions that the people of God are asking in the book of Isaiah as they are being confronted, as Leah read to us, this Assyrian empire. I mean, just last week, Cam opened up for us Isaiah 32, and if you, if you uh, weren't here for that, I'd encourage you to listen to last week. Chapter 32 has this wonderful promise of a righteous king, and when he comes, it will transform human society. Will God fulfill the promises that he's made to preserve this people, that this king will come and he will set all things right? Can he be trusted? And the difficulty thing is, as, we, as we've seen here, is that Assyria is knocking on the door. And so our passage today, and I'm actually going to be preaching from Isaiah 36 and 37 today. So if you have your, have, if you have your Bible or a Bible app, please open it. I'm going to have it on the screen as well. But our passage today from Isaiah 36 and 37 wants to assure us that God is trustworthy and that he can be trusted to fulfill the promises that he's made. He is faithful to deliver his people from Assyria, and for us sitting here in this room today, he is faithful to deliver us from future judgment, sin, and death. He extends the promise of salvation. So we, because God has been faithful in his past actions, we can trust him to be faithful to his future promises. Okay, so let's look at our text then this morning. So the first point uh, in the outline is that in order to grow in the trust of God's promises, we should trust in the word of that promise. So, the first half of our passage comes from Isaiah 36 1 to 37 7, this very big, long narrative. And I'd encourage you, when you go home, to read it. It's a brilliant narrative. And here we see that King Hezekiah is being threatened by the Assyrian Empire. Verse 1 tells us that they've captured all of these fortified cities every stronghold that the nation of judah has to ward off its enemies all of its borders they've been taken and he's being threatened to give it in to give up stop trusting in anything outside of assyria submit surrender and so verses 1 1 to 22 then hezekiah is confronted with a question Where is your true dependence for salvation? See, if we're going to grow in trust of God's promise, we need to be confronted by that question of where is our true dependence? Now, verses 1 to 3 then tell us of these really difficult circumstances. Verse 1 tells us that in the 14th year of Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, attacked and captured all these fortified cities. Now, so uh, Hezekiah, I think this is the first time we've been introduced to Hezekiah in the book of Isaiah. Hezekiah was the son of King Ahaz. Ahaz, before him, was confronted with a very similar or, um, kind of choice. Are you going to trust... And Isaiah presents Ahaz in chapter 7 with this choice. Are you going to trust the Lord to deliver you? Or are you going to surrender to Assyria? And Ahaz actually surrendered to Assyria. He chose not to trust in the promises of God. Now, Sennacherib succeeded his father, Sargon II. Sargon is one of those great baby names, so if you're thinking about what do I need to name my son, Sargon II, even though there might not be a first, it's a good one. Now, Sargon was killed in battle, and it was a really messy transition. And what happens in messy transitions? Well, little rebellions start to pop pop up. It feels a bit like Star Wars with the rebellions going on here. And during this time, Hezekiah decides he's going to try to throw off the Assyrian domination and to be fully dependent on the Lord. So verses 1 to 2 of chapter 36, the fortified cities are captured. In verse 3, he's surrounded by a large army. Now, while Sennacherib is taking care of some business elsewhere, he sends a field commander to begin negotiations for this surrender. Who are you going to trust, Hezekiah? The question is will Hezekiah be like his father Ahaz and surrender, or will he continue to trust in the promises that God has given him? And we see the direct challenge in verses 4 to 10. The challenges of what it ha- what occurs when we are confronted with trusting the Lord. So the field commander that kind of negotiates this—he's very clever. It's, it's kind of a feels like a bit of a masterclass in psychological warfare here, and so he seeks to persuade Judah to submit to Assyria, and he does this by trying to persuade Hezekiah to not trust in anything that you're trusting right now. So verses four to six for us tells us. Don't trust in Egypt. Israel, uh, Judah has had the history of trusting in other nations. The field commanders don't trust in Egypt because they're weak. They're like a, a rod that you, that you use to walk and to brace your, your weight on, but it will snap underneath you. Verses 8 to 9, he tells us don't trust in yourself either. Verses 8 to 9, he talks about to not trust in your own military. Judah is so few that even if Assyria spotted them a couple thousand horses, Judah wouldn't actually have the military people to, to actually ride them. You're too few. You can't stand up against the Assyrian empire. And probably most crucially for us, the field commander challenges him, do not trust the Lord the Lord that you're depending on. He's He's actually pretty clever here because he says, don't trust the Lord because he's actually your enemy. He does not want your good. Look at verse 7. The field commander assumes that Hezekiah's religious reforms of tearing down all these idolatrous altars has actually angered the Lord. The Lord's angry because you've taken down all these altars. And then in verse 10 he says, the field commander says, it's actually at the Lord's bidding that I'm here to destroy you. He has raised me up. Don't trust in the Lord because he's actually your enemy. And so, on, you know, so don't trust in Egypt. Don't trust yourself. Don't trust the Lord. Actually, trust in Assyria. Okay? The challenge is actually to submit to the external Assyria can actually give you everything you need, everything you hope for. Uh, One of the uh, one of the um, kind of things, the um, the strongest aspects of the the uh, field commander's promise is in verses sixteen to seventeen. That Assyria can actually give you everything that the Lord promises. You can trust Him. And his promises. So if you look at verses 16 to 17, what does he promise here? Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. Then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own cistern until I come and take you to a land like you own like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Besides this being just a complete lie because we know what Assyria was like in its military pursuits, it's really remarkable because these are aspects of what God himself has promised to his people. He has promised them peace. He has promised them a uh, prosperous land where they might worship him. These are all gifts that the Lord has promised to his people, but the field commander is challenging. Don't trust in the Lord. We can give you everything that he wants to give you. So instead, submit to the power of the empire. So verses 18 to 20, the field commander kind of rehearses all of the gods that the Assyrian king has been able to defeat. All the gods of the nations have been unable to, to save these other nations, they, the Lord God will be unable to save you as well. Your only option is to submit to his power. Now, this is, uh, I think, the frequently the way our own faith and our own trust in the Lord's promises is tested. It's tested by those oppo- opposed to the Lord and his ways. We are the things that, um, the things that we rely on from the Lord forgiveness acceptance adoption the promises of great hope in the future our world tells us actually you can have these things you're looking for acceptance well great you can join the local sports team you're looking for security it can be found in the right job with at the right income level It can be had in the right family with the right spouse and the right number of kids. It can be found in the right cleaning products that our adverts like to tell us. You're looking for ethics. It can be found in anthropology and philosophy. You're looking for forgiveness. Actually, you don't need to be forgiven. You have no guilt. All you need to do is forgive yourself. You can, you can pursue the things of the Lord that you think are given from him, but you can find them elsewhere. I think this kind of just speaks to the heart of our own world right now, being the promises of God being opposed. Now, for Hezekiah and his uh, his messengers right now, they, they respond in verses 21 to 22 in mourning. They're surrounded. What are we going to do? How is the Lord going to deliver us from them In verses one to seven then in your outline don't fear continue to trust in the promise of the lord no matter the external circumstances so how do you respond when you're challenged you humble yourself before the lord when all the external circumstances are shouting out to give it up, most of us probably respond with efforts from ourselves to make something happen, be people of action. Or on the other side, we might slip into kind of pure despair. How is the Lord? I don't know. He, he, he may not. On the other side, Hezekiah here shows us that if we're going to seek And trust in the Lord. We must seek the Lord's word in humility. And so in 37 verse 1, Hezekiah tears his clothes. He goes to the presence of the Lord to speak to him. And he is in this, that that idea of tearing his clothes, putting on sackcloth. It's kind of the same thing we do when we go to funerals and we wear black. It's the kind of external, uh, we put on the external of what we feel internally. And so Hezekiah goes to the Lord in pure dependence. He has nothing else to do. He can do nothing else. He is outmanned. He cannot rely on anybody else. It will only be because of the Lord's pure grace that they will be delivered. And then Hezekiah sends his messengers to the, to the prophet Isaiah. He will, he will seek the Lord. He sends his messengers to hear a word from the prophet. Now, in verses 2 to 3, Hezekiah's messengers then go to Isaiah. They report this great disaster all around them. And they ask Isaiah to pray to the Lord. Verse 4 says, pray for the remnant of Judah that is living. This is kind of harking back to all the promises that God has made in this book. Pray for us that are living. God has made these promises. Pray that the Lord will rebuke this Assyrian empire, this army. And in verse 6, we see that Isaiah's message comes back, and it is very simple, actually. Don't fear these words. Don't fear the blasphemy against me. The Lord promises deliverance. Don't fear because this is what the Lord's going to do in verse 7. He's going to put a spirit in his ear that will take him away and back to his home. And there he will die. And so this kind of first, the first half of this narrative kind of shows us the pattern, and we'll see the same pattern in chapter 37, is that when we're confronted with the challenges of who we're depending on, where our trust for salvation is, we repent in the presence of the Lord. We seek his assurance in his word. Now, for today, we seek that, obviously, in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the presence of God among us, who speaks to us through his word. And so the the encouragement that Isaiah has is, don't fear the circumstances, wait for the Lord. And so then that brings us to uh, ch- chapter 37, verses 8 to 38, which is trust that, the God, that God hears the prayer of his king. Okay? Um, so after Isaiah's word of future deliverance, that is that he's going to, that the Lord will move this Assyrian empire, move this army away from Jerusalem, we read in verse 8 of chapter 37 that he leaves. When the ki- field commander heard that the king of Assyria... Had left Lachish, he withdrew and found the king fighting against Libna. So we don't know why he left. Presumably it was to assist Sennacherib, the king. Now you can imagine, you've just received this word of deliverance. And then all of a sudden the field commander leaves. You're like, God is fulfilling his promises amongst us. You can, you can imagine the, uh, the ecstasy in that. They're leaving. The word of promise is beginning to take place. But then in verses 8 to 13, we see that Hezekiah receives a further challenge. And this is a message from Sennacherib himself, where the king challenges him again to not trust in the Lord. I think you can feel uh, Hezekiah's disappointment here. You can imagine it. It feels like that really kind of really difficult week of work or school. Things are just terrible, bad clients, threatening your job, bad colleagues, classmates. And it's just been turmoil, turmoil. You've been praying, you've been praying. And then by the end of the week or a couple weeks or month, it begins to, things are lightening. Things are, God seems to be answering your prayers. And then Friday at 4.59 p.m., Somebody shoots off an email right before you're about to go have a relaxing weekend. Uh, the email, text message, Instagram message, and it just deflates you. You've been praying and the things are looking fine. And then all of a sudden, no, we're dealing with this all again. And so just as he previously did, Hezekiah goes to the temple again, verses 14 to 15. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and he spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed. He spreads out the message before God. And he again, this is a sign of dependence. I can do nothing. I'm here at your mercy, God. And, this is, and, and we're being taught here that this is, this is the pattern of the Christian life. When we are faced with these challenges, we go to the Lord first in prayer and in humility. But we're also being taught something very, very important here. Is that God hears the prayer of his king. So we look at uh, Hezekiah's prayer in verses 16 to 20 here. Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Hezekiah recognizes who he's praying to. This is not some local God, some kind of uh, infomercial at the end of the night that you're hoping that will deliver you from your onion-chopping needs. That's what happens when you go off script. You just kind of say things. No. You alone are God. He recognizes who the Lord is. Verse 17, Hezekiah makes his request that God would listen. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to all the words of Sennacherib has, has sent to ridicule the living God. It's ridicule, God. Listen not to, not to anything actually other than the blasphemy against you. As Hezekiah is sitting there being surrounded, he recognizes actually the real battle belongs to the Lord. All these things that are being said are actually ridicules against Him. And then verses 18 to 19, Hezekiah recognizes that Assyria has done these things. But the reason they've done these things is because the gods that they have defeated are not like the Lord. They are not real gods. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to all these people in their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. They're not real gods. They are not like our God. Lord, hear. And then verse 20, he petitions the Lord to deliver them from his hand. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. Notice that he does not pray that they'll be delivered because we deserve it. We've been really good people, God. Actually, it shows us how often that is not the case. No, deliver us so that the kingdoms of the earth might know that you are the Lord. He desires for the glory of God to be known precisely by the kingdoms of the earth. This is, kind of, this is the role of the church today, that the, that the fame and renown and glory of Christ would, meet, would be known. So are you concerned for the glory and reputation of God above your own? I think we're being confronted by that. When we pray, when we pray for deliverance. I'm a a chronic people pleaser. I love to be liked and loved. Uh, And if I'm honest, this is a difficult prayer to pray because I care so much about my reputation. Uh, I care about what people think of me. I want to be in the right. I want to be loved no matter what. I want my actions to be loved. And if they aren't, if there's going to be that kind of difficult relationship with somebody, I want everybody else to know that I'm right. I want to be accepted by them. Hezekiah here. Lord, Lord, deliver us for your own glory that you might be known across all kingdoms. And so one of the most remarkable things about our passage as we think about who God is, that he's the living God, is that he is a God who responds to prayers. The Lord responds to the king's prayer by sending a word of coming deliverance from the Assyrian invasion. He responds when his king prays. So Isaiah's word of promise then, uh, we won't go through this in, in great detail, But in verses 22 to 25 here, he's going to condemn the pride of Assyria, the Assyrian pride of thinking that you are the sovereign one. Just look at verse 23 of what the Lord says. Who is it that you have ridiculed and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. Verses 24 to 25, he recounts what Assyria believes that they have done for themselves. You know, that they've ascended the tallest mountains, cut down the tallest trees. They've even made kind of unlivable places livable because they've dug wells. They've even cut off the great empire of Egypt. But the news flash of, of verses 26 to 29. The Lord reveals that everything that Assyria has thought that they were doing was actually ordained by him. He is the sovereign one. Verse 26, have you not heard long ago I ordained it. In days of old I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass that you have turned fortified cities into piles of stone. Their people drained of power are dismayed and put to shame. They are like plants in the field, like tender green shoots, like grass sprouting on the roof scorched before it grows up, and so on. The Lord says in verse 26, I have planned it. I have brought it to pass. I know where you are, and I know where you come from. And verse 29, because you rage against the Lord, he is going to lead them off like a horse or any kind of cattle. This divine promise is meant to encourage Isaiah and the Judaites as they hear it. God is in control. He is the only God. Do not fear. God is not oblivious to your circumstances. Isn't that good news? That the turmoil that I feel in my own life, the frustrations that I have the difficult, difficult relationships, the difficult in work, the difficult with kids. It's not new to God. He is sovereign over those things. One practice that I've really tried to implement in my, in my own life over the last few years when I'm feeling worried and anxious of, of God and his promises is just asking myself this question. Is God oblivious to my circumstances? Is he somehow blinded that I've wandered into this situation and that he's unaware of it and I'm the only, you know, I'm the only key to getting out of it? No. Hezekiah's prayer is telling us here that he and, and the Lord's, Isaiah's response is that the Lord is fully aware. And so, and it's common in our culture, in the Christian culture right now to look around at the situations around us in our own hearts and, In our culture, and our world, and to be worried. How is God going to do this? How is he going to fulfill his promises? Hezekiah's prayer and Isaiah's response is, it is not taking the Lord by surprise. Do not fear. Now, in order to assure Isaiah, because, I mean, that's one thing to have this promise. It's another thing when the Assyrian Empire is literally still there. And I know that we feel that. It's one thing to receive this promise. It's another thing on Monday morning when you're back at work. So in order to assure Isaiah of God's deliverance, Isaiah promises that he's going to give him a sign of things to come in verses 30 to 32. It's going to be a physical sign designed to give them encouragement and hope of future deliverance. And that sign is um, that by the end of three years, you're going to be able to um, plant crops and harvest them. first two years are going to be hard. You're only going to be able to eat what's there. But the third year, they're going to be gone. Verse 34, the Lord promises Assyria is not going to enter Jerusalem. He's going to go on his way home. Verse 35 the Lord will defend this city for his sake and for the sake of David. So just as Hezekiah had prayed that the Lord would deliver Jerusalem, not because of any merit, but for his own glory, we see that, that the Lord confirms that. He's going to save the city for his sake and for the sake of David. Back in 2 uh, Samuel chapter 7, which we went through as a, As a church, uh, I forgot how long ago now, um, last year, two years ago, God God made David a promise that he would have an enduring dynasty, and it's going to be through that dynasty that the Lord Jesus Christ will come. He will be the key to righting all the wrongs. And so when God delivers Jerusalem for his sake and for David, It is a part of that plan to bring restoration and reconciliation to the world. In verses 36 to 38 then, we see that the promise of deliverance is fulfilled. Three years later, what do we see here? Well, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. Judah doesn't lift a hand. It is all the Lord's work. And because of that, Sennacherib flees back to Nineveh, and while he's there, he's put to death by two of his own sons. Kind of a gruesome ending to the story, but it does show that God delivers his people. The monstrous Assyrian Empire then is defeated, not by an army. But by the Lord Himself. And so, friends, we see in our our passage today that the Lord fulfills His promises. And the way He fulfills His promises is through answering the prayer of His King. Isn't it remarkable that God hears and answers our prayers? He's the Lord of the universe but yet he does not stand off disinterested from us. He's not disinterested in your perils, in my perils. God loves those who humble themselves before him because that is our right posture to him. We are completely dependent upon him and he delights in saving a people who are dependent on him. God has promised deliverance for his people, and the Hezekiah story here demonstrates what the posture of that people must be. This is also exactly the same way that the gospel of Christ works. We humble ourselves before him and his works. We trust in his righteousness, not our own. And so God extends the promises of salvation to all. It is through humility and repentance and trust that this promise is extended and received. But this passage also reveals, and it's not only just entrance into the kingdom, but it's the ongoing life of the Christian. It reveals something so profound is that God answers the prayer of his king. So Hezekiah here, a very humble king, prays for deliverance, not for himself, but for his entire people, the entire people of Judah, the remnant. So in theological terms, Hezekiah here is interceding on behalf of an undeserving people, deserving God's judgment. Hezekiah prays for God's deliverance on behalf of a whole nation. Uh, Next week, we're going to see that Hezekiah is not a perfect king. And so it shows us that we're still looking for that righteous king of Isaiah 32. Hezekiah is not the promised king, but that role of praying on behalf of an entire people, interceding for them, that role is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he doesn't just do that for himself or an entire nation. He does that for an entire world. He does it for all people of all times. And as Hebrews, uh, the writer of the Hebrews tells us in 725, Speaking about Jesus, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Friends, it is good news that the Lord Jesus Christ at this very moment is continuing to intercede for you and for me in the heartache of this world. And so the field commander then asked the Judaites, Who are you trusting? And the same question confronts you and it confronts me. The Lord wants us to know that he is the only one who is completely trustworthy to give you all things, to give you salvation. Because he's the only one who can do it. And he has ensured them to us because he has given us himself in Christ. And so, friends, I want you to know you can trust in his promises even when they feel they're far off or when the external situation feels difficult. You can trust his promises because of what God has done in the past. He has given you himself. And if the sovereign Lord of the universe has given you everything, can't we trust him to give us all things? So let's continue to worship together. Let's trust in this king because he is completely trustworthy. Let's pray. Our great God, we, uh, we praise you that you are the sovereign one, you alone. We are not found in difficult situations or under threat by any accident, but you are using it for your glory, God. So we ask, God, as we are confronted with the difficulties of trusting in you, God, that we would look back not only to our passage today, but we would look at the cross and your resurrection, knowing because of what you've done in, your, in the past, we can trust you in the future. So God, as we worship you, may we worship you with full hearts, full of affection of what Christ has done and is doing and will do. Amen.